the Land of the Free podcast, episode eight. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. The main reason we went into Iraq at the time was we thought he had weapons of mass destruction. Turns out he didn't. If we have not gotten our troops out by the time I am president, it is the first thing I will do. I will get our troops home. We will bring an end to this war. You can take that to the bank. That I'm tired of, tired of being peaceful and tired of being calm. You know, I ain't, I ain't peaceful. I ain't no protest. I'm violent. Rocks and bottles, and you can see tear gas canisters being fired. There are reports of, of gunshots also being fired. If I could have gotten 51 votes for an outright ban, I would have done it. It's days like these that you know you're a libertarian. Today is piss everybody off day because we're going to hit we're going to hit them all. Republican, Democrat, everybody's getting it today. It's the perfect day in the life example for libertarians. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Land of the Free Podcast, landofthefreepodcast.com. Like I said, we're going to be we're going to be hitting the DNC, we're going to be hitting uh, Michelle Obama, we're going to be hitting Hillary Clinton, we're going to be hitting Donald Trump. Everybody's on the firing line today. They're all going to get it because this has been one crazy week. When I started off Monday, I thought we were getting the leaked emails and the DNC was I thought things were kind of crazy then. This last week I have to chuckle a bit. The the thing that always stands out to me with Democrats in particular that's different from Republicans. Now, they both deserve all the criticism that they get, right? But the thing that stands out for me with Democrats and, and really more like the rank and file Democrats, the ones that you and I would interact with on a daily basis, is the arrogance. It's this, it's this sense of, of, of haughtiness and arrogance that they tend to have about how their party is so much better and above, above all of this stuff. And so coming into the DNC, they were, it was all about, well, we're not going to have a fiasco like, like the RNC was. And they were making fun of it and just doing their typical arrogant, oh, these Republicans are crazy. <laughs> well, that got shattered pretty quickly, and I think there are some fairly embarrassed Democrats throughout the country in exactly how all of this went down with the DNC. So, we now have, we, we had the emails earlier in the week, and, and before I do that, I wanna, I'm going to get into Donald Trump and his, <laughs> his, his what he's been saying lately about the Russian hackers and the the fiasco with the Russian hackers and so forth, and then the minimum wage thing that has come out. And I want to get to Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton. We're going to get to all of that in this episode, so so definitely stick around. But I want to hit on this DNC thing real quick because we had the emails at the beginning of the week, and now we have voicemails that are starting to come out that are being leaked. And it's continuing... It's it's directly attacking this arrogance that Democrats tend to have about we're not that party. We're not the one that that has money in politics and this, that, the other. They like to pretend like it doesn't happen in their party. 
that there's not the corruption in their in the, in their party when it's becoming now more and more clear that and don't get me wrong i have no no inclination that the rnc isn't exactly the same right that the republicans aren't exactly the same so I'm, this isn't a oh republicans are better than democrats thing but democrats tend to be so arrogant about it oh we're not corrupt like that they're the ones well here we go and now we're seeing clearly that not only were they biased towards Bernie Sanders, but now we're starting to see the money and the influence that that was involved with the DNC. So there's a lot, there, there's stuff that, I mean, <laughs> seems like every day there's new stuff coming out. But with these voicemails, and I'm, I'm just going to do this quickly, but a lot of what I've heard from from it is, I mean, there was a lot of innocent stuff, but the things that were kind of damaging have to do with the money and the pay for play type stuff. And so the really damning voicemails were voicemails left by donors who were essentially looking for their reward for their donation. Right. So there was one of one voicemail uh, from a donor who was talking about a small dinner date that had been set up with the president. So essentially this person had had donated and now they were kind of on the back end uh, going through the details of getting their reward of their dinner with President Obama. There's also, and this was actually in the emails, but uh, $200,000 for a private dinner with Hillary Clinton. Now, we, the thing is, is we all know I think we all kind of know that this stuff goes on, but to see it and to see the actual numbers and actually happens, it still does take you back a little bit. But what you have to know, you have to stop and think about this for a second. You're paying $200,000 for a private dinner with Hillary Clinton. What do you think's going to happen at that dinner? Do you think the person paying $200,000 is going to show up and just eat a salad and chit-chat? That's not what's happening. In fact, one of the, the guys that was interviewed uh, for the, the report that ABC did specifically said <laughs> that they were talking about the different, uh, the different boats and stuff and the different parties outside of the convention that happen. And he, that's what he said. He said, this is where everything happens outside of the convention halls at private dinners that you paid $200,000 for. This is all the, the backhanded, you know, behind the scenes wheeling and dealing that goes on that the Democratic Party claims that they're, they're above, that they don't engage in. Yet here it is on full display with these emails and these voicemails. So again, <laughs> Really, my point with all this is <laughs> to pointing at Democrats and this nonsense, this nonsense arrogance uh, about being above all this stuff. You're not. Quit fooling yourself. And, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters, for all their flaws, which there are many, one of the things that they've gotten right this election cycle is the corruption in the DNC, especially related to Hillary, Hillary Clinton. I don't know why I can't say her name. Maybe that's a maybe it's a thing with me. I'm like allergic to her name, but I always have trouble with Hillary. Anyway, so that's all going on. I know you've probably seen that. The other thing 
that has been incredibly annoying this week was this have everybody has been going on and on and on about the speech that Michelle Obama gave and again I try not to be overly partisan because I don't really care about Republicans or Democrats I mean there's there's issues with each one that I kind of sympathize and agree with in in certain ways so I don't really have a preference either way. I think they're both corrupt. I think they're both off base, right? But and so I again, I know for for Republicans, it, anything speech that she uh, would give, they would say, eh, whatever, you know, that's the partisan thing. But I listened to the speech. And everybody's going on and on about how great of a speech it was. And I frankly I, I wasn't I didn't see what the big deal was about. It seemed like a pretty standard speech to me. It, it didn't it didn't strike me as something revolutionary. So I want to go through some of the things that were said in this speech. And, you know, you may or may not have heard it. And so I, I've listened to it for you and going to give you the breakdown of some of the, the important things in here and really give you the gist of it and why it just, to me, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's obtuse. I think it's out of touch with with what's really going on. So there were, uh, again, I'm not going to read you the whole speech, but I'm just I'm picking out some of the things that stood out to me. So one of the first things I thought was interesting, uh, probably the first few minutes of her speech, she says, "I will never forget that winter morning as I watched our girls, just 7 and 10 years old, pile into those black SUVs with all those big men with guns." And then right after that, she kind of laughed. Now, I think that was a little bit of a chuckle about the fact about the 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 whole gun control debate, but it's really not that funny. Because what she's saying is true. You're talking about a president and a first lady and a family who everywhere they go, they're protected by guns. When those girls go to school, I promise you there are guns nearby to protect them. Yet, those same people don't want everyday people like you and me to be able to protect ourselves the way that they're protected. People that can't afford the private security or the public security that they have everywhere that they go. They don't want those people to be able to protect themselves. But oh, no, 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 no. We can make jokes about piling into an SUV and men with guns. Now, it's a, it's a small thing. I get it. But again, it goes back to this arrogance, this theme of arrogance from the Democratic Party, where, where, they, where they come up with these policies and these ideas, and they chuckle at the fact that they can do it and you can't. All right, continuing on, she said, this is where we get into the meat of it. And we're going to pull out the theme here, which... Uh, anyway, she says, and let me tell you, Barack and I take that same approach to our jobs as president and first lady, because we know that our words and actions matter, not just to our girls, but to children across this country. Kids, you tell us, I saw you on TV and I, I wrote a report on you for school. Kids like the little black boy who looked up at my husband, his eyes wide with hope. And he wondered, is my hair like yours, which of course got a huge applause at the DNC. 
Now, this is, you know, Democrats like to talk about Republicans and their dog whistles, right? This is with, I don't even think you can call this a dog whistle. This is just flat out pandering out in the open. Now, I'm not the one, I'm not the person who, I don't think you can completely write off the historical significance of our first black president. I don't think you can do that. I think that is a thing. Regardless of what you think about him policy-wise, how he got there, etc., it is a thing. It's something to look at and recognize that a country that did have slavery in its past has gotten to the point where they had their first black president. That is a thing. I just don't think it's as big of a thing as the Democratic Party tries to make it out to be. Especially given the performance of this particular president. And especially given the fact that any critique towards him is often then just, you know, Democrats, oh, well, you're just racist. You're a racist. That's why. No. I actually voted for Obama in 2008. I know I'm outing myself. And this was long before I ever really got into politics. But I voted for him in 2008. A racist doesn't vote for a black president. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. But they make it a bigger deal than what I think it is and don't allow you to critique him because, well, he's black and you're just racist. But this line, kids like the little black boy who looked up at my husband, his eyes wide with hope, and he wondered, is my hair like yours? I remember specifically the 2012 election and I remember uh, at that time I was driving um, my kids. It was about 20 minutes to the school that they went to. So I was living in Iowa and they had open enrollment. And there was a school, a different school than the one in that we, the district we were living in that I wanted them to go to. And so they were going to that school. And I would drive them about 20 minutes there and 20 minutes back every day, every weekday. And so I, li- I listened to a lot of radio and I heard a lot of political ads during election season. And I remember specifically a commercial with Jay-Z talking about a younger generation who didn't feel like the the exact, I can't remember the exact words, but basically the, the person, the pre, person who's been president before Obama didn't represent them. And it, it was really, it was obvious that it was this, this kind of dog whistle of Basically saying, if you're black, you need to vote for Obama because he looks like you. It was this identity politics that's become so prevalent. This line is like a double whammy because it's identity politics and it's also about the kids. And that's going to become important because of what she goes on to say. So she goes on to say, and make no mistake about it, this November when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding not Democrat or Republican, not left or right. No, this election and every election is about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four eight years of their lives. So this is the classic, it's all about the kids appeal that she's making here. And so she continues, and I am here tonight because in this election, there is only one person who I trust with that responsibility. Only one person who I believe is truly qualified to be president of the United States, and that is our friend Hillary 
Clinton. So the full-on, full-court press of elect Hillary Clinton for the kids. Now, now her her pitch is starting to take shape. Right? It, it's the identity politics, and it's the kids pitch. And so we're 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 starting to get both of those here, and it's it, it has nothing to do with policy. It's ugly identity politics and pandering is what this is. Now it, it comes kind of full circle in this last one I'm going to go through here. And so she continues on later. That is the story of this country, the story that has brought me to this stage tonight, the story of generations of people who felt the lash of bondage, the shame of servitude, the sting of sever- segregation, but who kept on striving and hoping and doing what needed to be done so that today... I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves and I watch my daughters, two beautiful, intelligent, black young women playing with their dogs on the White House lawn. And because of Hillary Clinton, my daughters and all our sons and daughters now take for granted that a woman can be president of the United States. So do you see what she did here? She essentially said electing Barack Obama the first black president was a historic thing. And it gave our kids hope that a black person could be elected to the office. And it, it helped, you know, not necessarily correct for, but it showed that we had gotten past our ugly past. And now Hillary Clinton represents that same thing for young women throughout the world. They're trying to transfer the historic moment of Obama being elected as the first black president onto Hillary Clinton being elected as the first woman president. That's what she says. That's what this election is about. If we go back earlier, In November, when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding. Not Democrat or Republican, not left or right. No, this election, every election is about who will shape the, who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight of years of their life. And what, how do we want to shape them? Well, we want to shape them and show them, just like a black man can be elected president, we can also elect a woman president. The pitch here is, Vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. That's the pitch here. Now, that's not surprising, but to sit here and tell me, try to convince me and feed me that this is some amazing speech, that I should look at this speech and think, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. No. It is typical partisan identity politics and pandering. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I thought this speech was awesome. She may have said it well, whatever. Who cares? I'm interested in the content. And the content is garbage. The content is slimy. It's the same it's the same dirty politics that we see with all the money and all the emails and the scandals and the bias and so forth. It's the same kind of dirty politics. Elect Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. That's the pitch. And no, I'm not going to agree with you 
that that was somehow historic or some amazing speech. So that leads into, it's a good segue into this Hillary Clinton as the first woman president. Now I've spent some time on this a little bit, so I don't want to go too much into this, but this, this idea that we should elect someone to be the first, this, or here's how it's easy to fall victim to this. I fell victim to this in 2008 and I learned my lesson. Okay. Because there's always, there's going to be another first, right? So it's going to be the first black president, then the first woman president. Then it might be the first black woman president. Then it's going to be the first Hispanic president. Then it's going to be the first transgender president, the first gay. We can have firsts and they can divide it up however they want for decades and decades to come. So if you accept this pitch that we should elect this person, not because of their their qualifications, not because of the policies that they hold, we should elect them based off of who they are, their identity as being black or as being a woman or being gay or being trans, whatever it is. If you accept that, then that's going to be, we can go that way for decades and decades to come. There's a, a ton more firsts that we can, we can get to. I don't think that's how we should choose the president of this country. I think we should choose it based off of where they stand on policy and how, how honest we think they are that they're actually going to do what they say. And to me, this is my problem with Hillary Clinton. It's not that she's a woman. I could care less. I couldn't care less. That's the way you're supposed to say that. I couldn't care less that she's a woman. I have problems with where she stands on policy. More importantly, I don't think she's honest at all. And that doesn't make me a sexist. Because there's plenty of Democrats who support Bernie Sanders who feel the exact same way. They might agree with her on policy, but they don't think she's honest at all. So it's not a partisan Republican thing. There are plenty of Democrats with that same critique. So my problem with Hillary Clinton is where she stands on the issues and the fact that I don't believe she's honest and will actually do the things that she says she's going to. And frankly, even if she did, there's a lot of them that I'd have problems with. So to, to, to claim to try and do the same thing that we did with Obama and say that if you don't vote for Hillary, you're a sexist. Again, out of touch. All right, I got to take a break. Coming up, we're going to get into Donald Trump. We're going we're, we're gonna to move to the other side of the aisle and 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 his comments on the Russian hackers and the minimum wage. Well, I'll get into that when we get back. You're listening to Land of the Free Podcast, landofthefreepodcast.com. We all know that our kids' education is a key piece of the future of our country. And as much as possible, we need to teach them the ideas of liberty so they can carry the torch into the next generation. But having homeschooled my children, I know that finding the right curriculum and resources to teach those ideas can be incredibly difficult at least until Ron Paul launched his very own homeschooling website. Because now you can get liberty education for your kids straight from the horse's mouth. 
And many of the programs are free for your younger kids and priced lower than most curriculums for the older ones. So if you're fed up with the public school system and ready to give your kids a rock-solid foundation in liberty, visit ronpaulhomeschool.org to get started. All right, welcome back to the Land of the Free Podcast, landofthefreepodcast.com. All right, now, before I get into, I want to I get into Donald Trump, his comments about the, the Russian hackers and that, that hacked the, the, the DNC emails and so forth, and also get into his comments about the minimum wage. Before I do that, so if you guys uh, aren't subscribed to the show, I want to encourage you to go over to landofthefreepodcast.com slash iTunes or landofthefreepodcast.com slash Android and do that so that you get all the episodes. And then I want to ask if you'll share one of the episodes or the show with somebody that you know. I mean, the, you guys know how this works. There's not a lot of liberty information out there and the the left and, and even the right in a, the Republicans in a sense tend to dominate different elements of the media. You know the conservative talk radio, conservatives the right has a a fairly strong stranglehold on on radio, whereas the left has it more with uh, your typical TV and 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 movies and so forth. So it's difficult, and both don't like libertarians. So it's difficult to kind of get in get get liberty information into the media. So w- one of the few ways that we can do that is by helping each other. So I want to ask you to help me out. Hopefully I'm doing a good job for you with with these episodes. I want to help ask you to spread this to people you know, to to other liberty lovers um and and share the show that so that we can kind of continue to grow this movement and be the be the media you know, libertarians do a good job with the internet. We need to continue to dominate that because we have to compete with radio and TV and so forth. I don't know that if we'll ever get in there, but we can get the, the the message out through the internet. So again, I want to ask you guys to share the show, subscribe. If you wouldn't mind going over to iTunes, landofthefreepodcast.com slash iTunes and leaving me a review over there, I'd appreciate that. That The, the more reviews, the better the reviews then the the more iTunes is going to show the show to other people and we can help continue to grow this movement. All right, so I'd appreciate if you do that. All right, so getting into Donald Trump and <laughs> his wild and wacky week, the first thing, so he he made some comments about the Russian hackers and essentially was alluding to the fact that if those hackers were to be able to hack the the emails that Hillary Clinton deleted, if they had them or they were able to somehow get them. And if they were to release them, you know, they the the American public might really, really like that. He was kind of insinuating essentially that if they did that, it would be a good thing. And as soon as he said that, right, Democrats have been in, again, full full court press on him about even some on the right have been in full court press about this about why would he why would he endanger national security he's asking hackers to hack something that's going to endanger national security and so forth and just on and on and on about how he's dangerous this is why he can't be elected i mean there's still people on the right in the never trump movement that are are going after him for this democrats are going him after after him for this and again i'm not I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I think um, we're going to get into that in a minute with the minimum wage. He's just off base policy-wise on a lot of things. But 
And and I this came up for me listening to the Jason Jason Stapleton program. So which by the way I recommend if you're not a listener of the Jason Stapleton program, just Google Jason Stapleton and you'll be able to find his podcast. I recommend listening to it. But this is where uh, this came up when listening to his his show. If again we're talking about the emails that Hillary supposedly deleted. Well, she said she deleted those because they were personal emails. So how would them being hacked endanger national security? You see the 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 contradiction here, the hypocrisy of of especially the Democrats. You know, the Republicans may, they might have a case cuz they've said all along that they thought that a lot of those emails they weren't all personal emails. They've said that from the beginning. So they actually somewhat have a case to say, well, yeah, it would endanger national security because we believe that stuff's in there. But Democrats, right, this is the, and they do this all the time with everything. They constantly contradict themselves. Oh, how can he, how can he call for the, the hackers to hacker emails and endanger national security? Well, I thought there wasn't anything related to national security in there. I thought it was all personal emails. How is her correspondence with Chelsea going to endanger national security? You can't have it both ways. So the stuff with Trump, first off, do I, do I think it's idiotic for, for Trump to ask Russian hackers to hack somebody in the U.S.? Of course that's stupid. Hey, I, I'm not, this isn't a, necessarily a defense of, of Donald Trump. It's just looking at the reality of the situation. Yeah, that's stupid. I mean that's now granted we're not we're not mad about the fact that these DNC emails and voicemails has come out. No nobody's really mad about that. And I think there is a role for what a, a group like WikiLeaks does. WikiLeaks does a lot in terms of a check on the power of the government. It really exposes a lot of things. And unfortunately, a lot of that comes through what would be illegal and immoral hacking. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And for a presidential candidate to say that, that the, somebody should hack somebody else, that's dumb. That is dumb. But let's not, let's not get crazy about it. Let's not go overboard. And again, the thing that drives me nuts more than anything when it comes to politics is the hypocrisy. I thought there weren't important national security emails on the ones that were deleted. I thought they were all personal emails. Which is it? You can't have it both ways. Also, this week, Donald Trump, this is where, again, he goes off the rails. So, talking about the minimum wage, I was asked about the minimum wage. And so, here's, here's what he said. Uh, they were asking him what he thought it should be. And he said, I would say 10. But with the understanding that somebody like me is going to bring back jobs. I don't want to, people to be in that 10 category for very long. But the thing is, Bill, let the states make the deal. So this is his, this is his position. Right? They asked him about the minimum wage. He said 10. Uh, and of course, like he's always said with trade and everything else, but understanding that I'm going to bring back jobs and the economy is going to be great. So it's not going to be a big deal. And he also said, I don't want people to be in that 10 category for very long. 
Now, what he's saying is a lot of people take that and say, well, well, now he's saying it should be higher. No, what he's saying is, is I don't think people should be making minimum wage for very long. I want them to, to get above that. But the thing is, let the states make the deal. So let the states do it. I think it should be 10, but let the states do it. And he's, he's gone back and forth on this. I, it, it's, he's muddled when it comes to the minimum wage. But then he continues and says, as an example, I live in New York. It's very expensive in New York. You can't buy a hot dog for the money you're talking about. You go to other states and it's not expensive at all. Now, what it does is it puts New York at a disadvantage. If the minimum wage is companies move out and things, you know, bad things happen. At the same time, people have to be taken care of. But what I'm really going to do with minimum wage, it has to go up. Okay. First off, that, that doesn't make any sense. And this is where the, the left tends to get the critique of Donald Trump right. He's, he's basically, he's, he's been on, he was on both sides of the position in that short little blurb right there. And he says, this is what's interesting. He says, I live in New York. Okay, I've been to New York. I don't know if you have, but I've been to New York City. And he's absolutely right. It's expensive as hell there. I'm, I remember we went to, uh, when I was there for a conference, we went to an Applebee's. Now, if you go to Applebee's here, uh, where I live, you, know, uh, you get one of their, their steaks or whatever. It might be 10, 15 bucks. We went to the Applebee's there and it was like 35 or 40 bucks for the same. It wasn't a bigger, better. It was the same steak that you would get here for 10 or 15 it was like 30 35 40 bucks something like that it was ridiculous so he's right it's way more expensive there and now what he says is if you go to other states it's not expensive at all which is true what it does is put new york at a disadvantage if the minimum wage is and i think he was going to say if the minimum wage is higher but then he realized well, wait, but if I say that and I advocate for making it higher, it doesn't make sense. Which is right. It doesn't make any sense. You're not making any freaking sense. You know that the minimum wage being raised is what caused, in part, I, I, I know I'm waiting for the, well, actually, but the minimum wage and the regulation and everything that, that happens in New York City and how how big the government is out there is what caused those prices to, to be that high. You know that that's what you were about to say. And companies move out. Yes, that's what happens. Now, New York city has some advantages specifically with what it is as a city to where, you know, it's, it's it's legitimate to say that it's going to take it's going to take quite a bit for a company to want to leave there okay because there's other advantages that it has just with the massive people there and the infrastructure and everything okay it has some other advantages because of what it is as a city and has been historically right it's, it's in a way that area is kind of the birthplace of of the country and so forth so you know Going from a ten to twelve dollar minimum wage, you know, may not have companies move out and things, but it's still going to make stuff more expensive. And if you did that at a federal level for everybody, you would have places who don't have those built-in advantages where companies would leave, and it would crush towns, ruin lives, etc. And you know 
you were about to say that raising the minimum wage would cause that. You know the problem. So, so what's your, what's your solution? Well, but at the same time, people have to be taken care of. So making everything more expensive for them is taking care of them. This is, this is the insanity of the minimum wage debate. Do you really think, do you really think if you pay everybody that works at McDonald's $15 an hour, like the left is pushing, do you really think that prices at McDonald's aren't going to go up? That those workers, if they go to their own restaurant where they work to buy food, aren't going to now be paying more for it? So it, it eliminates the advantage. It eliminates the minimum wage, and not to mention everywhere else they go, because it's a statewide thing, those prices are going to go up. I've seen it. People, the left likes to say, that's not what happens. Yes, it does. I've seen it. I watched when the minimum wage was raised in Iowa, and I remember the day of. The day the minimum wage went up, we had all new signage in the, in the restaurant where I worked that raised the price of our buffet, buffets, I think it was like $2 a buffet, raised the price. The day the minimum wage went up, they had, knew it was coming, they prepared for it, got all new signage, and the day that it was enacted and we had to start paying our employees the new minimum wage, the cost of our, uh, the cost of our buffets and the cost of the stuff in the restaurant went up. It happens. I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand stood right there and watched it. I helped put the signs up. So yes, it does happen. That's what happens. It has to. You know what else happens? I remember having this conversation too. When we were, the the minimum wage was getting ready to go up in Iowa, we had a meeting. I was an assistant manager, so general manager and the other system managers, we all had a meeting. And we started talking about who we were going to have to let go. And we started talking about the numbers. If you don't know this, and this has been several industries, but really any business that has their stuff together, especially a chain or you know uh, something where there's there's a corporate uh, influence that that has this stuff all figured out, right? We knew based off of how much revenue we did in a month, how many employees we could employ, or how many hours we could dole out. We knew that. So when our cost of labor goes up, but our revenue stays the same, it's not rocket science. People are going to lose their jobs or get, get less hours, etc. And so I remember sitting down and having the conversation. Whose hours were going to get cut? Who was going get to go, get let go? What our numbers were going to have to come down to employee-wise and hour-wise in order to offset the this new labor cost that's the other side that they don't like to talk about is the people that because they're not the their productivity it's not them as a human being it's their productivity is not worth that $15 an hour they're not capable of doing that and you can't run at a loss i used to i used to sell shoes i used to be an out bundy and i worked for a chain and it wasn't like a footlocker. It was a more of a, I guess you could say, traditional, kind of like a brown shoes where you would come in and there's like a full service type shoe store. 
and we got paid on commission. And I could calculate for every employee based off what they sell, sold, what I had to pay them hourly rate and commission wise, based off what they cost me and what they made me as a manager, I could calculate whether they had a positive or a negative ROI essentially. And I could see it. I had a spreadsheet and I would post it every week. And if you were in the red, that means you, you cost money. It cost me money to employ you. You didn't make me money. So businesses that do this, they know clearly this kind of thing. And if you're costing money, you know, week after week after week after week, you're not going to be employed there anymore. Well, when you're making $15 an hour, you have a lot greater chance that you're going to cost money if you're not someone, if you're not the, like the employee of the month every month, that person will probably keep their job. But the young kid who's trying to get experience maybe comes from a bad neighborhood, doesn't necessarily have a great school, who's trying to fight his or her way into the workforce, trying to to get that experience and so forth, but maybe just doesn't quite have those skills, who could make it at $5.25 or maybe even $7 an hour, but at $15 an hour, no way. That's the person that suffers, the person who needs it most. And so this is Donald Trump is way off base with this. He's trying to pander to both the left and the right. Now, here's the, the caveat to all this. That's what he says, right? This is all what he says. The, th- the truth is we have no idea what he's going to do. He could be saying this and then get in and be like, nah, I'm minimum wage. I just did that to get votes. Now, if he did that, you and I would probably be like, whew, thank God, right? But to, we, we, don't, we don't know what he's actually going to do. That's what he's saying here. That's both the problem and the advantage with Trump. That's what's scary and exciting about him is that you really have no clue what he's going to do. And this all gets me back to my, my thought overall on Trump. And the reason why I think people like Trump and they overlook stuff like this. And I have brothers who like Trump. And it's obvious to me when I talk to them. They And, and Bill O'Reilly, <laughs> I don't say this often, but I think Bill O'Reilly got this right. He said that Trump was an avenger. He's going to come in and save the world. And very specifically, I think, he's a cultural avenger. People like him because of how he attacks the left, how he attacks this idea of political correctness and the social justice wars. He's an avenger, a cultural avenger in that sense. Now, not everything about that is good. There's definitely some bad sides of that. But The way I look at it is we've swung so far to one side with the social justice and the trigger warnings and political correctness and all that stuff. The pendulum has swung so far to one side with all that, so far to the left, that the person who comes in and corrects that, a guy like Donald Trump, a guy like Milo Yiannopoulos, they're not not perfect. Right? Their, their policy positions are not perfect. Their approaches aren't always perfect, but they were never going to be. The correction to how far we've gone to one side was never going to be perfect. The, the line from the Batman movie, The Dark Knight, that I think is 
the perfect summation of Donald Trump. He's not the hero you deserve, but he might be the hero you need right now. In the sense that he's flawed on policy positions. He's flawed in his approach. He's flawed in a lot of ways. That's absolutely true. But in some very specific ways that are important to certain people, he's exactly what's needed. When it comes to political correctness, he's exactly what needed. Again, not because he has the best approach, not because he says things exactly how they should actually be said. It's because he's the other side. We've swung so far to one side. He's the like diametric opposite. And the only way to get us swung back more to normal is to have somebody clear over there, like a Donald Trump, like a Milo Yiannopoulos, like you know a lot of the other ones that are out there. Again, they're not perfect. I'm not saying that I I support Trump, that I think you should vote. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not someone who's going to vote for Donald Trump. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I understand where people are coming from. I understand this idea of them viewing him as, an, as a sort of avenger in very specific things. And so this whole minimum wage thing, He's wrong. He absolutely is wrong. The problem is most of the people who support him don't care. And that's that's the truth. That's that's the reality we're living in right now. Now what he's going to do when he gets in office, we'll see. Are those going to people going to hold him accountable when he is in office? Doesn't necessarily look very likely, but that's what our job is. That's what you and I are supposed to do. We are supposed to call out these positions that are wrong and we're supposed to hold them accountable. We can't just wash our hands because we don't agree with them or we don't like him. We have to stick in there and we have to be the ones that hold them accountable. We have to continue to articulate why these positions are wrong. All right. So I'll leave it there. Leave, uh, leave the rant at that, <laughs> at that point. Again, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show As I mentioned before, I would really appreciate it if you would share the show with someone you know, help us continue to build uh, this movement, this liberty movement, and move more and more away from this authoritarianism of Clinton and Trump towards a more libertarian uh, mindset. I think, to me, the politics is what it is. It's the battle for ideas. There's a war of ideas happening right now. And both Democrats and Republicans are on one side, and libertarians, little l libertarians, are on the other. And so we have to continue to keep fighting this battle. We have to get the word out. We have to continue to articulate the ideas. And that's what I'm going to continue to try to do. That's my job. I, I want to ask you guys to play a role and help me spread this to other people so that we can continue to grow this movement. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, again, I appreciate it if you do that. If uh, you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so at thelandofthefreepodcast.com slash iTunes and thelandofthefreepodcast.com slash Android. All right, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.